0: Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Moulter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God.
1: Well, with that, let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Uh, We'll be picking up in verse 12, and we'll do uh, chapter 16 as well. The title of our study is serving and celebrating. And so we didn't make it all the way through chapter 15 last week, so we're kind of picking up midway. And we'll look at uh, the subject of a bond servant and talk through that. We'll kind of also look at a little bit about firstborn animals. And then we'll move into chapter 16 and we'll take a look at some of the Jewish feasts and festivals um, and how those point us to Jesus. Also a great reminder that God wanted his people to eat and have joy and celebrate, kind of a, a party and remembering the goodness of God. And so we'll take a look at those. Um, and my hope is that through this, we will celebrate all that we have in Christ. And we will be people who are filled with the joy of the Lord. And realize that God wants us to be um, filled with the Spirit, right? And we'll look at part of that too in our study of the fruit of the Spirit that comes from having uh, that empowerment from Him. So with that, let's take a look at verse 12 through verse 18 and take a look at the law concerning Hebrew uh, servants, specifically Hebrew bond servants. So picking up here in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave, a land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this thing today. If it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you, because he loves you and your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant you shall do likewise. It shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you, for he has been worth a double hired servant, in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do." We'll pause there. Now, some people have criticized the Bible because it does talk about slavery. But the fact slavery slavery's existed throughout the whole human experience of history, it's always been there. And in fact, we've even looked at that where they were enslaved, as it says, in Egypt, right? The Egyptians enslaved uh, the Hebrews, the, the Jewish people. But we also see there's quite a difference the way that God put limitations on it for the Jewish people. They were to have six years that like they were paying off a debt. Seventh year was the year of release; they were free to go. But you didn't let them go away empty-handed. No, no. It says you had to give them liberally, right? From your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press. You gave them parting gifts. You blessed them as they went. They were more than, double than a hired servant, right? They were worthwhile uh, in your home. And so very different mentality that we see um, the rest of the world was, was utilizing with slavery. And of course, God put limitations on it so it wouldn't be abused, but man, we like to go outside of those limitations and abuse it anyways. And we've seen the course of history uh, has done a, uh, a lot of damage with that. But we also see the picture here of a bond servant, which was a slave by choice. The Hebrew word is abed. Ab- it means slave or a servant depending on its context. In the New Testament, the Greek word is doulos. Uh, it means um, one which is subservient to his master. So the question then becomes why would anyone working for someone for six years and the year release comes up, say, you know what? I don't want to go free. I want to stick it out. Why would anyone do that? The only reason they would do that is if they love their master and they say, you know what? I've had a wife. I've got kids here while I've been serving. I get three meals a day. Sometimes even more. I got a place to live. This guy is great to work for. Why go anywhere else? I'll just stick it out here and keep serving. This is great. And so if he had that mentality, he would become a bond servant. Otherwise the seventh year release, they were free to go. And so uh, slavery was a very common uh, practice among the world. In fact, even during the time of Jesus, the first century church, as much as one third of the whole Roman empire were slaves. And another third had been slaves previously. They'd either purchase their freedom or uh, were able to be set free. So it was very common at that time in the world for there to be slavery and for the freeborn men and women to work side by side as slaves, whether they were street sweepers, dock workers, doctors, teachers, business managers. Some have suggested that maybe Luke the doctor um, was a servant and uh, later on became set free. In the New Testament, we see Jesus taught that the greatest in his kingdom would have to become the servant of all. It says that in Mark 9.35. In fact, Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so we see that this concept is unthinkable to a Roman citizen who prided themselves on their freedom. They would never identify themselves as a bond servant, a servant by choice. But then again, God's kingdom is not of this world. Right? God's kingdom is quite a bit different and his thinking is above our thinking. His ways are above our ways. So the Old Testament, the servant was a servant by choice, loved his master, and if he wanted to continue to serve his master, he'd go before the judges at the door of the doorpost. And it says they would pierce his ear with an awl and, uh, and then oftentimes they would put a ring in that uh, to signify that he was a servant by choice. So, See people with pierced earrings and those kind of things, nothing new, it's been done for thousands of years. The Bible's <laughs> already beat you to it. Um, people have those piercings. Um, but it was a signifying that you were a servant for life, as it says in Exodus 21, a servant by choice. In the New Testament, we see that Paul and Timothy and James, Peter and they all describe themselves as bond servants of Christ. Slaves or servants of Jesus by choice, and Jesus, since He's our Lord, He's our master. Our allegiance is due to Him alone. We should all become bond servants in our mindsets, that that we're the, we're serving Him. Right, He's our master by choice, and if that's the case, then we need to renounce all other masters and give ourselves totally and completely to Christ. Right, make sure that He's the. The preeminence in our life, that He's on the throne of our heart, right? And Jesus said, "You can't serve two masters. You'll love the one or despise the other." And there'll be times in our life where and God will check our heart and say, "Which master are you serving? Is it me? Is it you? Is it something else?" I'm like, okay, Lord, help me <laughs> to make sure you're the master that I'm listening to you, I'm following you, and I'm serving you. So we see this law concerning the Hebrew bond servants. We've seen. It applies to us spiritually as in the New Testament, bondservants of Christ, we're serving him by choice. If somebody forced you to follow Jesus, I apologize, that's not Christianity, right? We, we can't force people into a relationship with Jesus. There are other world religions where it's convert or die, not in Christianity, right? We give people the choice, you choose. You wanna follow Christ or not, it's up to you. But we can't force anyone into the kingdom of God And so we are all servants of Christ by choice, and that's how he would have it uh, in his kingdom. Well, next we'll take a look at the law concerning the firstborn animals in verse 19, and then we'll go to the end of the chapter uh, in verse 23. He says, All the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock you and your household shall eat it before the lord your god year by year in the place which the lord chooses but if there's a defect in it if it's lame or blind or there's any serious defect you shall not sacrifice it to the lord your god you may eat it within your gates the clean oh excuse me the unclean and the clean person alike may eat it as if it were a gazelle or a deer only you shall not eat its blood you shall pour it on the ground like water. We'll pause there. We see that there was this law for the firstborn animals, and there's really three reasons I found for this. First, because Israel was God's firstborn. God chose Israel, uh, the Hebrews, out of all the other nations, and, uh, and this honored that fact, that Israel was to be set apart, and the sacrifice was to remind them that God had chose them to be set apart uh, from the other nations. The second is because at that time, the firstborn was thought to be uh, the best and the strongest. And so the best was always to be given to God. And God required a sacrifice without blemish, as it says. Uh, He wanted uh, them to give their best to him, not their second best, not their leftovers. And that applies to us as well. God wants us to give him all of ourselves. And then finally, it was to be a reminder to all generations when God would redeem them, it would only come through a sacrifice. It came through the blood of an animal. And they would have to continually do that year after year, all the time, to offer these sacrifices. But it pointed to a future sacrifice of the Messiah, of Christ coming, where he would be the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, the perfect sacrifice, unblemished. And that points us to Jesus. Well, next we'll move into chapter 16 we'll see some of the celebration feast and God wants us to be joyful as we remember his goodness and uh, we'll take a look at that here in uh, chapter 16 we'll look at the first eight verses uh, that deal with the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread so picking up here in chapter 16 verse 1 observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd and the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life and no leaven shall be seen among you and all your territory for seven days nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning you may not sacrifice the Passover with any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight at the going down of the Sun at the time you came out of Egypt and you shall roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. We'll pause there. We see in the first eight verses here the, what was known as the Passover festival. Um, it's Peshach, I believe, in Hebrew. I probably need to put some more phlegm in that and saying that. <laughs> but um, it's often in, in the Western parts of the world celebrated very closely with Easter. And so uh, that is coming up soon. And it's a Jewish festival. Again, it's celebrating the exodus of them coming out of Egypt, uh, the Israelites' freedom from slavery. You recall, Pharaoh refused to let them go. Right, Moses said, let my people go. And Moses said that directly to Pharaoh and Aaron and Pharaoh replied, no. And so they didn't want them to go. And so God brought these 10 plagues or judgments upon them and, and the last one was the worst of all, right? The death of the firstborn in Egypt. But God provided a way for them to escape that judgment. That they would take a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb and sacrifice it and take the blood and apply the blood to uh, the doorposts of their home, right? And at midnight, at twilight, as the sun was going down, they were ready and and then the the angel of death would pass over that home at night as they saw the blood. Uh, And that family would be spared of the pain and that suffering. So that's where the term Passover comes from. God passed over that home and that they were saved because the blood had been applied So the Passover is one of the most widely celebrated Jewish feasts to this day. Um, They have a special meal. It's called the the Seder meal. You recall we had um, Trevor from the Chosen People's Ministry here, uh, I think a year or two ago, walking through parts of the Seder meal with us. And um, they've got unleavened bread. There's some other symbolic aspects of it that they have. uh, A fire-roasted lamb, bitter herbs and some things like that. And so God had this for his Jewish people uh, to remind them of, of their exodus. And then after that first Passover, God had to do this commemorative meal. Uh, they were to remember, uh, and it says this in Exodus 12, It was they were to observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever, even when in a foreign land. So God wanted his people to remember how he had rescued them out of Egypt. And also part of this would be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It followed right after. It kind of goes together. It lasted one week. It reminded them how quickly they left. Uh, The yeast didn't get to rise in in their breads. Um, They they had to get out of Egypt quickly. And so it was a reminder that they were leaving in haste uh, from Egypt. And for us, we see that in the New Testament, Christ fulfills the law. All of the the symbolic things that are there point us to Jesus. Uh, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Right? He's the perfect spotless lamb. In fact, he was killed at Passover time. It was twilight, the sun was going down. Um, and the last supper, we commonly know, was the Passover meal. Jesus was having a Passover meal with his disciples. And uh, so by spiritually applying the blood of Christ, to our lives by faith. We trust him to save us from death, right? We've applied that blood spiritually to the door of our heart. The angel of death will pass over us as well. Also at that Passover meal with Christ, he instituted something with his disciples we commonly know as, as the Lord's Supper or um, what we, we would call today is communion, right? We take bread in the cup and we do that in remembrance of what he's done for us. As we're doing that, we're celebrating the work of Jesus. But we're also looking forward to our first meal in heaven. As Christ said, he will not partake of this again until he drinks it anew with us in the kingdom. And so it helps us to look forward to the marriage supper of the lamb where we will be dining there in heaven. So hopefully that doesn't offend you and you're looking forward to eating in heaven because there will be food there. Um, We'll be eating in heaven this marriage supper of the Lamb. So there'll be plenty of food. Don't worry, it's not going to run out. And uh, it'll be a party in heaven, right, with the Lord. And so we'll get to be celebrating uh, that reality. Well, next, we'll take a look at the the festival of harvest or uh, of weeks. And uh, we'll see that here in verse 9 through verse 12. He says, You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain, then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who's within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes." We'll pause there. Now this festival of harvest is also known as the Feast of Weeks. It occurred uh, seven weeks, or Jewish calendar would be 50 days after the grain harvest. As we would think about seven days in a week, seven times seven, we would think, well, that's 49 days. Ah, but not in the Jewish mindset because their day begins at the sundown and then it goes to the next sundown. So theirs doesn't, goes like ours at midnight, right, begins the new day. There's is sundown to sundown. So for them, it would be 50 of their days. And the primary focus was a festival of gratitude to God for all the food that he provided from the earth. This would be close to what we would call Thanksgiving, where we like to eat, right? And be thankful for the provisions from the Lord. And so for the Jewish people, it was a big party, big celebration, lots of food, lots of eating, dancing, uh, filled with joy. And as I was thinking about that, it's interesting because here we see in, in verse 11 that God commands them You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. God had to command his people to remind them to rejoice, right? And we see this in the New Testament, um, where Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. There are times where God has to remind us where we're going to find our joy. And so often we can feel tired and busy. We forget to celebrate the good things in our lives. The good things our spouse accomplished or the good grades our kids got or the good friends that we have. And I'm convinced we need the Holy Spirit to be filled with that life of joy, to be thankful for what God has given us. Jesus promised to send another helper according to John 14, 16, who would indwell believers and empower them for the ministry. We need more the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit. We need to give him more control of us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Above such, there is no law. That's that's what we need in our lives, is that fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from the Lord. We need that Empowerment, we need the filling of the spirit to be filled with the joy that comes from him. Now what's also interesting is that we have to remember that there was a period of time uh, after the resurrection of Christ, it was about 40 days or so that he had ministered on earth uh, after his resurrection. And then he told his disciples, uh, tarry in Jerusalem, wait for Jerusalem, go and pray and, and, and you'll be empowered By on high, and so they went to Jerusalem. They prayed, they sought the Lord, and they waited. And it was on the Feast of Weeks, right? Fifty days later, that the Spirit of God rested upon them. And and the Greek word for fiftieth is Pentecost, which we correlate to the filling of the Spirit that they had in Acts chapter two. So, this festival is is a picture also. Of the promise of salvation, and the future resurrection that will come to pass. But it's also the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and every born again believer. Of what we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit seals us in Christ and is a witness with our Spirit, as it says in Romans chapter eight, verse sixteen and seventeen, that we are indeed joint heirs with Christ. So we have the Spirit of God living within us. And so since Christ sacrifice, resurrection, we have the promised Holy Spirit. And today this harvest continues as people continue to be saved. But there's also coming another harvest when God will again turn his attention back to Israel so that all of Israel will be saved, as it says in Romans 11.26. And we're beginning to see that among the Jewish people today. There's a revival happening where they're turning back to the scriptures they're reading the scriptures and realizing it points to a Messiah that has already come named Jesus, Yeshua, their, their Messiah the Christ. And, and they're becoming evangelists in a sense and telling others the good news about Christ. So that's, that's the hope that more people would come to know the Lord. Well, next we'll take a look at the Festival of Shelters here in verse uh, 13 through verse 17 here in chapter 16. It says, You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. When you've gathered from your threshing floor, from your wine press, you shall rejoice in your feast. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you and all that you produce and all the work of your hands so that you shall surely rejoice three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses the feast of unleavened bread the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles and they shall not appear empty handed before the Lord they shall not appear before the Lord empty handed every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you We'll pause there. This festival of shelters or booths, it's also known as Tabernacles or Sukkoth. It was a a festival uh, that lasted a whole week. It's actually the seventh and final feast that took place. Uh, It was five days after the Day of Atonement. And so for a whole week, they would present gifts and offerings unto the Lord and they would feast and live in these huts made from palm branches, and they would live outside their home in these shelters to remind them of their wilderness, a period in, in, in leaving Egypt, and yet not quite in the promised land of Canaan. So it reminded them of that journey uh, where they were wandering, but it also reminded them they were looking forward to the coming of a Messiah, who would deliver his people from the bondage of sin. And so like all the feasts and the festivals, uh, this constant reminded the Jews that God promised to deliver his people from bondage. And for us as Christians it should be reminded to us as well that God delivers us from the bondage of sin from the power of, of death and hell. And uh, that he also walks with us through the wilderness of this world, right? We're strangers, we're pilgrims in this world. We're not to make this world uh, too comfortable and, and, and call it our home, right? We have a temporary home. We have an address for here. But our real home is in heaven, right? That's what we're going to spend for all of eternity. So we're going to make sure we're getting that place ready, right? We're sending things, our treasures there, right? We're, we're sending things ahead, right? We're, we're trying to invite more people to join us for that eternal address. And so we see that uh, this was reminding them of, of God's power and his deliverance. And part of God's deliverance for the Israelites and was a provision of protection for that 40 years in the wilderness as they wandered. Um, And the same holds true for us today. God protects us, he provides for us as we go through the wilderness of this world. But it also points us to a future time as well. Revelation uh, chapter 21 talks about this, a future time where people from every tribe, ton and nation will tabernacle or dwell with Christ in this new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven to earth. And, and that will be glorious in that time where we're with, with the Lord and with people from all over the world. Well, in closing, we'll take a look at verse 18 through verse 22. He says, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgments. You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise, twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not plant for yourselves any tree as a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourself to the Lord your God. You shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. We see here in this last section, God knew the importance of having judges or leaders that were honorable. Uh, It was very important to the officials of the nation. And so God commanded that they not pervert justice nor shall partiality, not take a bribe. Instead, they were to follow the law. They were to hold fast to God and his commands, to be altogether just. So the judge had a responsibility to uphold the law, not to reinterpret the law. As soon as a nation begins to do that, it begins in a spiral down case, right? Because this judge will say, this is okay, and this judge will say, that's not okay, now you've got judges saying different things, and it will go to a circuit judge and all these different things, and then there will be a Supreme Court judge, and then they're going to say different things. Really, they should all be saying the same thing, right? should all be upholding the same law to be uh, able to be governed. We also see here in this last section that uh, there were these pagan items uh, that the other nations were practicing, and and Ezra could have been tempted to be seeker-sensitive and add such of these things to the worship experience, right? right next to the altar of God. And yet God says, the God of Israel, he said he wanted none of it. In fact, it says, God says, the Lord your God hates that. He doesn't want us to mix the worship ways of the world with the way that we worship him. So lastly, we see that these spring feasts, they point towards the Messiah's ministry of his first coming. The fall feasts point us toward what will happen in the second coming. There's a period between the feasts. Um, and symbolically, this is the church age, the age that we live in. And so my hope is that we'll be ready for the rapture of the Lord, which could happen any moment. That we should be celebrating all the blessings, all the things that we have in Christ. And be a people who are filled with with the joy of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders, Lord, of, of a bond servant that you desire for us to make that choice, to choose to follow you. Lord, that no one forced us into your family. We may have wandered around a little bit and, and peeked around the corner and saw that life as you is much better than the life we were living on our own. And Lord, so often we have to hit rock bottom before we begin to look up and realize you were there all along with your arms wide open, just ready to receive us. So Father, we thank you for inviting us into this kingdom. We pray you continue to keep us humble and and useful and fruitful for you as as your servants, Lord. Help us, Lord, to continue to serve you with our whole hearts and all of our lives. And Father, as we've taken a look at these festivals, these feasts, may it be a reminder to us that you desire us not only to eat and to celebrate, uh, but to be filled with joy in remembering your goodness and all the things you've done for us. And Father, just personally, I thank you so much for the work that you've done in this church family and this fellowship and that you've given us a building as years we've wandered around town and setting up and tearing down year after year and week after week and And Lord, all the things you've done for us as a church family and done for our families individually and for our lives individually, God, may we not forget the goodness that you've shown to us. May we not forget the wonderful ways you've worked in our lives. We pray that we will continue to have hearts that are thankful and remembering your goodness day after day, week after week, and year after year. And Jesus, we pray if there'd be anyone here this morning who needs to surrender their life to you. Lord, perhaps they're out there wandering in the wilderness. We pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here or you're watching the live stream online, and say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me, I need to get right with God. I'm not certain that if I died today, I'd be with the Lord in heaven. I need that salvation you're talking about. I believe that Jesus is that Passover lamb that took my place, that he was buried and rose from the dead. I'm ready to surrender my life to him. If that's you this morning, I simply want to lead you in a prayer where you make that decision. I'm not asking to join Calvary Chapel. We have no official membership. I'm asking to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you know the creator of the universe and how much he loves you, wants to forgive you, and wants a relationship with you. And if that's you this morning, I simply want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me and truly mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I am a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. I believe, Jesus, that you love me and that you died on the cross for my sins that you were buried and rose from the grave. God, please forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and my life. I surrender all of myself to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you. And put your spirit within me that I may do your will. God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for being my Savior and my Lord and my closest friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord or perhaps a rededication... Let me know. I'd love to encourage you, pray with you, uh, give you some resources, give you a Bible if you don't have one.
0: You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry Please visit ccfergusfalls.com giving. Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries. Check out ccfergusfalls.com May God bless you as you study His Word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: My life to you I give shout from the inside.